This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. It's 7.06 a.m. on Monday, the 11th of December. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Keith Kam and Anwar Mahbob. In half an hour, we're going to discuss the outlook for global interest rates and how this might impact currency markets in the coming year. But as we always do to kickstart the morning, let's recap how global markets closed last Friday. Last Friday, the Dow closed up 0.4%. The S&P 500 was up 0.4% and the Nasdaq was up 0.5%. On the Asian side, Nikkei was down 1.7%. Hang Seng was down 0.1%. Shanghai Composite was up 0.1%. STI was up 1.2%. And our very own FBM KLCI was down 0.1%. So for some insights on where markets could be heading this week, we have on the line with us Kelvin Wong, Senior Market Analyst with Oanda. Kelvin, good morning. Thanks as always for joining us. Now, if we take a look at US markets, the S&P 500 closed last week higher along with the Nasdaq and Dow, notching up six straight weeks of gains for US stock indices. What is your outlook for this week? Are there enough tailwinds to make it lucky seven for equity markets? Uh, well, uh, firstly, uh, let's look at it at, at from a seasonality perspective over here. So traditionally, the month of uh, November to December is uh, at most time in the past 25 years is rather positive on the U.S. stock market. So what we could see over here is that the tailwind is coming from a positive seasonality factor heading into this week for the uh, S&P 500 as well as the NASDAQ 100, the key benchmark U.S. stock indices. But however, uh, investors and traders will be mindful that uh, this week itself is a rather brisk event week because mm. we do have this coming Wednesday, the Federal Reserve FOMC meeting. And this meeting is primarily also important. Why? Because this will be the meeting that the Federal Reserve officials will release their latest dot plot, that means i.e. their forecast for the next uh, year and the year and the year after, that means about the three-year forecast on interest rate, inflation, as well as economic growth. Overall, November saw strong monthly gains in the S&P 500, Germany's DAX and the Nikkei 225. In contrast, bears dominated China with the A50, CSI 300 and Hang Seng recording losses over the same period. Now, what factors are driving China and Hong Kong's underperformance in equities? Yeah, so if you look at, at this point in time over here is that markets in Asia that's primarily tied to the fortunes of the China economy has not been benefited uh, in this October to November bullish run that is seen globally due to the fact of a weaker dollar and as well as this lower U.S. 10-year treasury yield. So it seems to me right now over here is that the China-related uh, stock market and the proxies, that means i.e. the Hong Kong major benchmark stock indices, has been primarily driven by structural weakness in China. That means i.e. we start to see deflationary spiral risk that is still inherent in China, especially that over the weekend we do have uh, China CPI data that came in weaker than expected. So we look at the CPI data for China in the month of November, uh, it actually posted a drop of 0.5% year on year. So that's actually close to a three years low and below market expectation of a drop of negative 0.2%. So there's actually an increasing risk that this deflationary spiral in China is pretty sticky at this point in time. And as well as there could be a policy error where we start to see a Chinese top policymaker encouraging uh, state banks to actually offer unsecured loans to uh, troubled uh, property developers. That could be actually create a kind of a systematic risk in China. So that create a kind of uh, negative feedback look into the China stock market. 
So having said that, Kelvin, uh, we are actually seeing that deepening property slump and it's, uh, I think the reports I saw is that it's, it's threatening to wipe out something like 5 million jobs uh, across the country there. Uh, what would your prognosis be for, you know, the, the, for 2024 in China? Would, would it still be a buy on dips kind of a situation okay. for China? So, so the, the China story right now is pretty much complex at this point. Uh, yes, we look at it as an internal economic factor doesn't seem to be favourable. The Chinese economy and the Chinese stock market. So what I will see over here is that uh, I do reckon that if the U.S. Uh, central bank and global central bank starts to be on the path of, like I would say, with a more of a dovish tilt, that means i.e. we start to see the end of this two and a half year, two and a half year of interest, uh, we call it high cycle. Mm-hmm. Potentially, it could be it could lead to a bit of what I call a uh, 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 consolidation. Or, or a bit of a, uh, the less uh, choking of this uh, news around China economy so that the Chinese uh, authorities were able to enact more fast, forceful uh, monetary policy stimulus. But on the other hand, they, do need, they need to understand the obvious that stimulus can only be cyclical in nature. So right now, we do see a structural problem in this uh, Chinese uh, property market. So what I record over here is that provided if the Chinese uh, authorities are able to clear this structural problem like about and I think a kind of a, a bank that sort of absorb this uh, potential bad assets or, 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 or disposal of bad assets from this property developer that could be a, a kind of a tailwind for the China stock market. But until we see that over here next year, I do believe that it still be a rather a challenging uh, environment for the China stock market. And I guess looking at how. Uh the fortunes of China impact our part of the world here in Southeast Asia. If we take a look at the MSCI Emerging Markets uh, Index, it made gross returns of 9.7% for November, but its corresponding ASEAN index could only manage about 3.5% below even US 10-year Treasury yields. So how much of subpar performance is correlated to China's weak economic growth? Yeah, so for sure, if you look at the last, uh, in fact, the year-to-date performance on ASEAN stock market, I would say it's close to around 70 to 80%. That is pretty much related to the growth of the China stock market and its uh, economic uh, situation as well. The yen made striding gains versus the US dollar in recent days on rumours that the BOJ will dismantle its negative rate policy at its December 19th meeting. What are your thoughts on this? Will Ueda affect any major changes then? Okay, so it's quite, uh, to me, if I look at the way they portrayed by uh, the top BOJ governors in the last week or so, or this potential, uh, we call it a bringing forward of the normalization of negative short-term interest rate in Japan, seems to be a bit bizarre at this point in time. Because do not forget, uh, BOJ uh, Governor Yuda has been stressing that in order for BOJ to actually uh, have an option or explore option to actually uh, uh, shift away from removing negative interest rate, they got to see substantial rise in Japanese nationwide wages, which uh, he's looking at next year's spring uh, nationwide wage negotiation between the union and, uh, and the corporations, the Japanese corporation. But that hasn't even taken shape yet. So, but uh, um, it's quite surprising that he made this uh, much more hawkish, dovish, hawkish comments pardon me, uh, last week during the parliamentary session, saying that uh, potentially there could be other options at play if uh, BOJ were to actually remove uh, short-term negative interest rates, that means they could actually target other interest rates in their normalization plan. And he also did mention that uh, over here, towards this month and the early part of this year, it will be a challenging policy-making time for BOJ. And so this brings me the surprise over here that it seems to me that he's trying to actually find out how market reaction uh, as a test bit 
if we were to actually bring forward uh, this, uh, uh, we call it normalization uh, policy in Japan. And also do not forget over here is that his remark also came way ahead of this week Federal Reserve meeting, mm. which is pretty key. So does she know something that mm. the market doesn't know? <laughs> uh, perhaps do they, is there any communication between the Federal Reserve officials and BOJ officials? So there's something that more than meets the eyes and maybe we start to see more clarity uh, towards this coming Wednesday FOMC meeting outcome. Oh, Kelvin, you are suggesting conspiracy theories here. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, on, on Friday, we did see the US labor market uh, unexpectedly strengthen in November, uh, which means yes. a lot of uh, uh, investors are pretty much expecting the Federal Reserve will 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 unlikely cut interest rates uh, maybe going yes. into, into next year. Are we actually seeing the uh, dollar weakness slowly creeping in? Is, is dollar yen going to be rising anytime okay. soon? So, so, so right now, the, the story about this Japanese economy over here is this, okay. So if you look at the situation in the Japan economy is that, uh, to me, what I see over here is that in order for the Japanese economy to actually uh, have another growth spurt up, we need to have a stronger yen instead of a weaker yen because the, the tide has started to change, all right? So uh, definitely, number one, as a fact of a counter, the current sticky still, I would say it's still rather relatively stubborn high inflation environment in Japan because oil prices is still pretty much on the upside. It hasn't gone down below $60 per barrel. So that could add as well uh, cost push pressure in Japanese uh, in the Japan economy. So a stronger yen will be a definite plus for counter that. And on the other hand, this is not way stating over is that if the US economy managed to uh, be in a soft landing rather than a hard landing in 2024 as evident by a still uh, I would say that yes, the job market is slowing, but it's not slowing as bad as what market expecting. So that could be actually a positive tailwind for the Japanese economy as well. That means, i.e., global economic growth is in a soft landing mode rather than hard landing mode. And together with a stronger yen, that could actually see a, a strong potential wave of capital inflow into China, uh, into Japan, uh, making Japanese uh, equities much more attractive to the rest of the world in terms of the exchange rate uh, perspective here. Kelvin, thanks so much for speaking to us. That was Kelvin Wong, Senior Market Analyst with Oanda, giving us his take on some of the trends that he sees moving markets in the days and weeks ahead. Capping the conversation there with a look at how the Japanese economy will fare depending on what happens with the U.S. Federal Reserve when they convene this week. How will interest rates go? What's the direction of hikes? I think that's something everyone is going to be keeping an eye on. Now, China, it's just a good point. He's, he's shown that you know China is still a big, big concern because the Chinese CPI has shown weaker data. You know, China's internal policy issues still bog regional markets. So we'll be keeping an eye on this for sure, but maybe we can take a look at some of the international corporate headlines uh, that we're keeping an eye on this morning. We've got news coming out of the automotive supplier Bosch, uh, the German automotive supplier. They announced that they need to cut up to 1,500 jobs at two of their German sites by 2025, and this is to adapt to staffing levels caused by changing demand and technologies in the auto sector. Now, they plan on moving stuff to other departments, early retirement or voluntary redundancy agreements the group was in talks with Works Council over specifics. Now, they will also refrain from compulsory redundancies at its German mobility locations until the end of 2027. But it, interesting point is that a lot of these manufacturing businesses are moving to China. Now, uh, Bosch has also uh, engaged with the government to push for more investment in emerging sectors related to clean energy and green mobility. And 
Worth noting is that Bosch has 34 manufacturing sites and 26 technical centres in China with more than 58,000 employees. All right. Yeah, China is a big powerhouse uh, of manufacturing. I'd be curious actually to see how this trend continues following uh, the EU-China summit that took up took place last week. Yeah, and just the kind of discussions that leaders are having on this. Uh, but at seven eighteen in the morning, we're going to head into some messages. We'll come back to cover more of the top stories in the newspapers and portals. Stay tuned. BFM eighty nine point nine. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.